This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play by play guys. For play by play guys, by I'm told, a play by play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now, here's the host of Play by Playcast, Todd Bodet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. All right, we've hit 140 episodes old. Welcome back into the pod, everybody. My name is Joel Godet. This is PXPCast, the podcast about play-by-play broadcasters for play-by-play broadcasters hosted by a play-by-play broadcaster. You can check us out on social media, as always. Find us at PXPCast, or you can find myself at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. I forgot the second part of the tag. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparation of some of the biggest and best play-by-play announcers in the business. All right, now you can find us on social media. Or rate and or review the podcast. If you get a couple of seconds, throw a few stars our way on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you have found uh, this here episode. Hope you enjoyed last week's episode with Mike Reese and the episode before that with Donnie Barnes. A couple of really good conversations, as is this conversation. Jason Horwitz is our guest, and it's it's hard to define who Jason works for and what he does. I'm going to let him do that, because he does a lot of things for a lot of different people. But if you follow sports, you have heard Jason's voice or seen Jason's face. Play-by-play for Big Ten Network and CBS Sports Network and uh, all over Westwood One's coverage of the NFL and the Olympics, and the list goes on and on and on. Um Creative guy, though, and uh, interesting to pick his brain from that approach. We'll dive into some pretty interesting uh, takes into how he goes about his business, how he preps, how he tries to to do do things and take things from a a unique and different angle uh, that we will get into. Where we start, though, is his first, you know, quote-unquote experience as a quote-unquote professional broadcaster. Because Jason Horwitz first rose to fame not as a play-by-play announcer or a studio host with a major network, uh, but as a reality show contestant. He is the second person on this podcast that starred on Dream Job on ESPN. He was on season two of Dream Job. Anish Shroff of ESPN uh, currently was also a Dream Job contestant. Um, And I, I say, you know, air quotes experience, air quote, you know, job or industry, because as you'll hear, Dream Job was... A reality show was less a like live audition to be a sports center personality and more a reality show that aired on ESPN, which I thought was really cool and interesting and, and a cool kind of peel back uh, behind the curtain. Uh, we'll get into all of that. We'll get into all of the things that Jason does and uh, we'll get into his creativity, uh, his prep, all that stuff, uh, all our normal, normal topics, but a fun conversation with Jason Horwitz this week of all those places he works here on pxp coolest story from dream job the week before the second to last week that i was on the show uh we were we went out instead of just doing studio stuff we went out and shot features had to come up with our own ideas had to come up with our own stories they set up all the all the shoots and things but uh my idea was around the charlotte bobcats their expansion that year um, you know, coming from Syracuse, obviously a Mecca Okafor was such a big deal. 
Um, UConn had been so good. He was, you know, it was back and forth. Do they take him? Do they take Dwight Howard? The Magic took Dwight Howard. So he goes to Charlotte. So the whole story idea was, you know, can Emeka Okafor become the new face of Charlotte? Um, now, I, at that point, by the way, the Panthers were coming off a trip to the Super Bowl. So, you know, Jake DeLone was certainly a face of Charlotte, and so were some other guys. But uh, that, that was the idea. And uh, I went down there and did this whole day with Emeka Okafor. Uh, I didn't know at the time that One Tree Hill was a big show, but they were starting their first season. One Tree Hill was also on the same day doing a shoot with the Charlotte Bobcats. And <laughs> and Emeka Okafor. Um, and had I known that, I probably would have tried to become friends with the folks from One Tree Hill. But uh, <laughs> spent the afternoon with Emeka Okafor. We went around the Charlotte, did some stuff about the excitement of the Bobcats and the expansion and, and basketball coming back to Charlotte and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, uh, when I finished with him, he's like, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I said, uh, well, nothing. He's like, great, let's let's go out. Uh, Sorry, so what? I got yeah. to hang out with Emeka Okafor that night and, uh, we just, you know, we went to a bar, you know, he didn't drink a thing, um, which probably makes a lot of sense, right? He's the new guy in town and he's a highly conditioned he, athlete, highly, extremely, I mean, a, a very, very good athlete. And, uh, he probably, you know, he had just gotten to Charlotte a couple weeks earlier, so he probably didn't know anybody. And, uh, you know, at that point we're the same age, we're both 21 or 22 or whatever he was. And, uh, and yeah, so we hung out for a couple of hours. That's wild. Um, yeah. <laughs> can you, are you, are you still friends? No, okay. no. Mecca Okafor's number did not work the same <laughs> a few weeks later. I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, the responses did, the, the responses a few weeks later did not happen. You know what? I, I give you uh, props for trying a few weeks later. So at least there's that. Um, <laughs> how'd the feature go over? Uh, you know what? I'd have to go back and rewatch it. <laughs> it. There were probably some things that were good. There were probably some things that could have been better. Um, but I, I will say that the video quality was much better than anybody else in college because I didn't shoot it. Uh, ESPN's camera folks were in charge of shooting it. So uh, some good footage, some good B-roll. Um, honestly, I don't even remember who his teammates were. We interviewed some of his teammates. In hindsight, you probably shouldn't ask a professional basketball player, hey, is he uh, going to be the best player on the team? That's probably not the best question to ask somebody who's been in the league a few years. But, um, yeah, it was it was a good experience. It was really good. How did how did it all come to be, and and, and how did you make it work, um, being in college? And like going, and you went back and forth, right? Yeah. Um, so the summer before senior year of college, they were having auditions, and it was kind of the same thing as – what you picture American Idol. People are just lined up out the door. The American Idol traveled across the country and, you know, they, they, they shoot it and they film it and they, they document the whole thing. And, and then they, they whittle it down to semifinalists and then they pick the final. So um, that summer I drove with a buddy of mine. It was right before my birthday. So end of July, 2004. Um, because I remember as we were driving back from DC after the audition, it turned midnight on my birthday. So, uh, so I turned 21 on the drive back from the audition for dream job. But you know, I just, it was at the ESPN zone. They, there were restaurants back then called the ESPN zone. I'm sure a lot of people remember them. And, um, so I went to the one in DC, you waited around the corner, just, just like you picture you would, you waited an hour or so or whatever it was. And, um, then there was just like a whole bunch of people. They took like 10 of people at a time. And they asked people to do like their best sports call. And so, I, honestly, I don't even remember what I did, but it was or how I did it. But it was something about 
you know, the Pistons game-winning shot to beat the Trailblazers in the 1990 uh, NBA championship because Vinnie Johnson had it, and it's one of my favorite moments as a kid growing up. And, and so I just did that. I did a play-by-play call of that. And it was in front of nine other people at a round table, and then whoever the producers were. And you know, then they, like, hey, you come into this back room. And then I went into the back room, and so I, like, had another part of an audition and filled out a couple of pieces of paper out. And a couple of weeks later, I got a call, and they're like, hey, we want you to come to the uh, finals auditions in New York City, and you have to do X, Y, or Z. And, like, the whole idea was to stand out. And, like, in hindsight, my audition for in front of Al Jaffe, who was in charge of talent at the time, and I don't remember who else was in the room, but, like, 15 other people. I carried a boombox through the streets of New York City <laughs> because I used to be a bar and bat mitzvah DJ when I was in high school. I can see and that, so, actually. Yeah, a DJ and a dancer. And so I did that, basically. I did the hustle in front of Al Jaffe and nine other people in a room. And I don't remember what else I did that I didn't, but they were looking for people with personalities and they were looking for people with energy. And so it stood out and somehow that was good enough to make the show. So it, it literally had nothing to do with like, I'm a college student in this area. I just carried a boombox and it worked. No, 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 no. And it was, it was only the second time I'd ever been to New York city. The first was on a trip in high school with a, with a, with a youth group for a couple of days. And uh, so this time I was staying with a friend of mine uh, who had just moved, you know, like a lot of college kids who moved to New York, they, you know, share a compartment with one or two other people. And so I stayed on her couch for two days. And, um, and the, my first experience with a New York City cab driver is I, I wasn't sure where I was going. I didn't know at the time that New York City streets are pretty actually easy to navigate. Mm. And, <laughs> you know, they're just numbers. They're not that hard. <laughs> um, but I go out of her apartment building and there's this cab driver on the side of the road. And I, and I said, excuse me, sir, could you point me? And he looks me in the eyes, looks extremely embarrassed. He looks down. I look down, and I realize he's peeing in a cup. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my first New York City taxi experience. <laughs> Haven't had that one since. Uh, I'm not going to touch that one. Um, we'll leave that there. Uh, wh- what did you, for, for somebody who was a student of it and in college and wanting to get into it. Like, what did you, once you got into the process on the show, in the whole thing, Yeah. like, what did you learn about the industry that you didn't know then and that students now maybe wouldn't expect but should know uh, that you get thrust into when you, when you do that whole thing? From the show? What did I learn from the show well, about the industry? Well, just, I mean, because you're around it, so, or maybe not. I mean, where, no, where you come yeah, so that's. Yeah, the show was – so Stuart Scott, the late Stuart Scott was the host. And so as he's he's as awesome – I should say he was as awesome uh, as that gets. And people who talk about how uh, giving he was and how, you know, he would, he would listen and he was, you know, for advice and, and professional and all those – everyone who speaks highly of him is speaking the truth. He was all of that. Um, and that's one of the relationships I wish I would have continued afterwards. We never stayed in touch. But um, the show itself wasn't so much about the industry as it was them putting on something with entertainment value. Mm. Um, they would take us around. So, so I was still a student at Syracuse. I was, I was the only person on the show. Now, Anish Shroff had just graduated. So I was the only person on the show who was still a college student. Was, and, Mike, was um, Mike Hall on your show, season or was he season nope, two? No, nope, Mike Hall was a different season. Okay. Uh, he was the first season and uh, certainly much funnier than I am. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was the only one who was still in college at the time. And so, 
uh, let's see, I, we, we, we tape Tuesday night, so Wednesdays I would fly back to New York. I'm sorry, back to Syracuse. I would do WAER stuff, a couple of class things. And then Saturday afternoons, I would fly back to New York, and I would be there Saturday. So the, they put stuff together. You, you, they were taking you around the city, and you know they were shooting you about how your experience has been. What do you feel about? Hey, this person said this about you. What do you think? And like they were building a drama, right? They were building what you think about, um, about uh, Big Brother or Survivor or. Or The Bachelor, where they take you off into a corner and they're like, hey, talk badly about this person. So, like, all of that stuff happened. So, Dream Job was as much about a show as it was about the industry. And then the actual show had parts about the industry, right? So, like, I had never had to do uh, something where your teleprompter breaks. Now, they didn't tell us your teleprompter was going to break. But as you, you know, as you know, and other people know who are in the business or anything else, like, things like that happen. And, of course, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, they had stuff set up where they intentionally were going to mess you up. And, and in a, in a, in a actual business situation, you might know stuff's going to happen, but yeah, you have to be able to do stuff on the fly. So I learned more about being able to handle, or in the case of how I didn't handle it, but be able to handle adversity and, and things on the fly there than I ever did before that. Um, and, and I, and, and I got a piece of advice a couple of years out of college from someone who, who I started working with a lot when I graduated, um, when we were doing CBS stuff sports.com stuff. Uh, Tim Brando uh, once told me very early in my career, they pay you for what you might have to do. They don't pay you for what you do. And uh, on the surface, that seems silly. You get paid for what you're doing. But the reality is in almost every situation, something's going to change and you have to be able to handle it and, and make it sound smooth. So nobody knows things are going wrong. Hmm. And, and that happens every single day. And in, in whether it's Westwood one or calling a game or you have a change of direction, um, breaking news happens, you know, so all of that, and you have to be able to handle it. And, and so I learned that. Oh, and, and it's, that's the, that is the best phrase that I've ever heard in terms of what you have to be able to do uh, as a broadcaster. Sometimes you have to record, uh, Inside the NFL or NFL today, uh, in a outdoor radio booth in Ypsilanti on someone else's equipment. It just you never know. Hey, you know what? Exactly. <laughs> and I hope they paid you for it. <laughs> they, I know they didn't pay me for it. Um, no, but I mean that's that's the perfect point, right? Like they, something broke, news broke. I was calling a game. You were there. It was Eastern Michigan, Ball State, and just had to be ready to record something. Um, now that's a little bit more time, and it's not uh, you know not on the fly. Sure, but. You know, doing the NCAA tournament, there's nothing that's dictated, and and it's all being able to handle stuff on the fly, and and that is as as, as important as anything else in this business. I mean, in terms of the actual aspects of broadcasting, now, like any business, there's a lot of other aspects that are more important than that. But in terms of the actual broadcasting, being able to handle change is so important. Uh, so here's the biggest question: um, What do you do? Like, wh- what are all your jobs? Too many, but that's a wonderful <laughs> thing, right? Yeah. Um, I am the studio host for Westwood One, uh, Westwood One's college coverage of football and basketball, uh, the radio, the network radio host of the NCAA tournament, the studio host for the NCAA tournament, the Olympics, um, other some championship sports like lacrosse. I host NFL shows and fill in on their NFL broadcast as well for Scott Graham when he's doing games. Um, I am a play-by-play announcer for, among others, CBS Sports, Big Ten Network, and NBC Sports, NBC Sports Network, and I host a daily radio show on Sirius XM ESPNU Radio with Andy Staples. 
Okay. Does that, does uh, yeah, that sort yeah. of summarize uh, it? <laughs> no, that's 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 good. Um, why? What do you like? Uh, it's a dangerous question. What do you like most? What what allows your creative good juices partners. to flow? Good partners. Okay. I, yeah, I, I mean that in all serious. I, I, um, I, uh, and, and I don't even mean like good at their jobs. I just mean people I like being around. Um, because that's another thing people talk about when you first get into the business is it's all about a, or at least it used to be, but certainly still is to some extent a, um, a, a relationship business. Um, like most businesses, it's about people are going to do things for people they like, but I, I like being around people who are okay understanding that we're doing something fun. We're, we're, we're working in sports. It's not that serious. We're going to do a good job. We're going to be focused, but it's not that serious. Mm. And, um, and, and I enjoy that. Um, so, so that's one of the reasons I like the radio show the most because Andy Stables is an outstanding partner. Um, when I was working with Danny Cannell, and when Sean Farnham fills in, he's very good. And there's some others as well. Chris Spatola, those guys are great. Um, but but Andy and I have a nice connection and it works really well and it's fun. And yes, it's a college sports channel and focused around sports, but it's kind of just kind of like a what's what and a what's going on and it just kind of like a life show almost. Um, being at a game is second to none, right? The energy, even in a, an arena where maybe the crowd's not huge, still, still second to none because you never know what's going to happen. There's always a new story to develop. And then my favorite event is the one I always wanted to work on and I've been lucky enough to do the last five years is the NCAA tournament. I, I never thought growing up that I would um, be part of an, the official broadcast, the actual broadcast of the NCAA tournament. And, and I'm lucky enough to be at the hub of it. And then, you know, the, the studio host for the, um, the pre and post and halftime for the final four. I mean, it's, it's, it's everything I really wanted it to be growing up as a kid. What makes a great partner? Um, and I, I mean that specifically from a play-by-play standpoint. Guys you work with when you're thrust into a situation where uh, maybe you've never met them or you haven't met them a ton and you have to act yeah. like you do for two hours. Um, what makes that relationship work best to you? So, so back that up and say it's the play-by-play's job to make the partner better, right? You are always trying to set up your partner for them to be in a great position. Having said that, I, I just like a guy with energy, you know, and, and, and someone who can go with the flow. Um, if a joke happens, go with it, you know. Um, that's me. That's my personality. I don't take things too seriously. So, so that's kind of how, how I like others to be. But, but again, you, it, it can be the best of both worlds. Like, you know, I've had the chance to work with, you know, younger guys were just like that. And then older veterans who have been calling games for 30 years and it, both of them work. Yeah. Like Dan Bonner is a perfect example. Dan's fantastic, right? He's been calling the tournament forever. He, he played in Virginia in the seventies. He's still calling the tournament for CBS and Turner. And I got a chance to call a regular season game with him a couple of years ago at GW. And he's definitely an interesting guy. He's definitely fun and entertaining, but he's very serious in terms of um, his preparation. And he wants to do a good job. He's been doing it forever. It just so happened that right before the game, about seven minutes beforehand, I fell out of my chair <laughs> and fell backwards at George Washington, and it kind of just uh, it kind of just uh, made things pretty loose the rest of the way, where you know we were able to have some jokes back and forth, and it was a good broadcast. You know, we had a top fifteen team at the time. Miami was undefeated. Um, it was you know one of the last reg- uh, non-conference games before ACC play in December, 
and and this is a couple of years ago, and, and so we knew we had a big game. There were going to be a good amount of eyes, and uh, we wanted to do a great job, but it was also nice and fun. So, like, just things happen, and you have to be able to go with it. How about, uh, I was told, and this, like, this is one of those things that I guess you guys made happen. Um, I was told by Tim Doyle that you guys did a, a bit with cheerleaders at a game that you called we together. Um, we did. So what we gets did. that flowing? And like, and what thi- like, how do you have the idea to say like this would be cool and not totally outlandish? So Tim is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. He is goofy. He doesn't take himself too seriously. But when it comes to actual analysis, he is spectacular. Um, his view of a game is outstanding. And so, like, a perfect example of what I'm talking about. But we were doing a Moorhead State game. I, I don't, Moorhead State's taking on Jacksonville State. Um, Jacksonville State's the defending OVC tournament champions. They're coming in. They're first in or second in the league, whatever it was. Moorhead State's having a bad year. First-year head coach. Team's not very good. Crowd's not going to be very good, whatever. And as, as I'm reading up about Moorhead State that morning, I noticed that they – their cheerleaders just came off yet another national championship. There's different different divisions in cheerleading, and they just kind of won two more championships, um, one team, one just women. And you start reading some more, and they've won like 45 national titles in 25 years. And so I, 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 I contacted the cheerleading coach. I'm like, hey, can you tell me more about this? And, you know, it's a basketball game. They're going to have cheerleaders. And so I said, hey, guys, uh, to our production crew, I'm like, hey, let's, let's figure out whatever, some kind of bit we could do with the, with the cheerleaders. And I didn't know what we were going to do, but at halftime, while the studio had it, we went over there and we're like, hey, let's do something. And they put me up in the pyramid. <laughs> so I was the top of the pyramid. And, and, and Tim was at the bottom doing the cheering and all that stuff. And I got to tell you, like, that's one of the scariest things I've ever done. I've gone skydiving. Um, you know, like, I, I was much more afraid of being at the top of the pyramid than I was going skydiving, jumping out of a plane from 20,000 feet. And the reason was is because I knew on a plane somebody else was in charge. I had nothing to do. In a pyramid, it's my responsibility to stay up there. So uh, that was fun. And it's kind of goofy, and I don't know. I don't know that everyone who wants to be taken seriously as a play-by-play guy would do that. Um, but I had a lot of fun with it, and, and so we did that. It worked? I mean, and, and, and how did it work? Why did it work? I don't know that it worked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's different, right? Like, look, there are... 353 Division One basketball games. There are with ESPN Plus and ESPN Three and Stadium and to go along with you know CBS and CBS Sports Network and Fox and FS1 and BN Sports. Like there are so many different broadcasts every single day of a college basketball game. It's not even about standing out. Like honestly, I didn't do. We didn't do it to stand out. Well, but how how are you Um, different? I guess. Well, but not even that. Like, yes, you do want to bring different stuff every night, but, like, it gets back to what we were talking about before. I just wanted to do something fun. Because mm. um, early February, middle of the Ohio Valley Conference season with a team that's at the bottom of the league might not be that fun. You know? it's It's got to be something fun. And so it was. What's, uh, what's hard to you about play-by-play? Like, when you sit down and do a game on television, um, what are the things you work on? most so that you can have the the job you want silence that's that that has always been my biggest my biggest issue is laying out a little longer because 
nobody in this business gets into this business because they don't talk, <laughs> right? Like you get into this business because you like talking, because you are a good conversationalist, because you like the games, all that stuff, and you want to talk about the games. And so it's really hard to not talk when there's moments that you don't need to talk. Um, and, and that could be 15 seconds. It could be 20 seconds. And at first it might seem like an hour. Um, uh, but that, that's always something that I'm conscious of is not talking over the moment because people talking too much is just, is, is certainly a killer. Um, but then the other is, uh, again, what we, it, it, going back to making sure that there is chemistry with, with your partner. Um, and how to make that work and making sure that you're not doing two separate broadcasts, but you're literally doing one thing together. And those are, those are the two things that, that I think are the most important. Does the talk show stuff and the hosting help. stuff help, help with that? Y- yes, absolutely. And, 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 and because I've had so many different partners, because SiriusXM, uh, for the longest time, it wasn't about putting shows together, or at least the channel. Um, it was more about, <clears throat> excuse me, it was more about, having names as analysts and they would rotate. So, you know, I would host maybe five shows a week and have four different co-hosts in a given week. Um, you know, next week I've, because yeah, Andy's off next week. So I'm doing three, I'm doing four shows with three different co-hosts. So, so it's the ability to be able to do that. It's really important. Um, it gets frustrating at times, but, but the audience doesn't care if you've never worked with someone before, they just know that if it sounds good or doesn't sound good. And they're there. And the other thing is you're, they're there to watch, you know, with the exception of a folk, someone like Bill Walton or Dickie V, they're they're there to watch or Billis, right, or Rass. They're they're there to watch the game. Mm. Um, you know, and so you have to add to it. You're not supposed to be in in charge of it. What are the questions you ask? Like, I mean, like, do you do like they, I, probably nothing as formal as this? But is there like a uh, a pre-brief with a new person you're working with to sit down and say like, all right, this is what I like? How do you get the feel for that person before you hit go? I say, hey, how are you? Yeah, no, seriously, it's just just a conversation. You know, there there might be a moment like where, as we're after we get to know each other a little bit. I'm like, hey, is there something you like to do, or is there something that you focus on? Just so I know, and that way, if I'm aware of it, I'll uh, I'll kind of be centered towards it and, and heading in that direction. But I it's it's I was an RA in college and for uh, sophomore year. And you do all these get-to-know-you activities because one of the responsibilities of an RA is you got a lot of kids who are freshmen in college who have never been away. You know, now they're meeting new people, particularly at Syracuse, where it's not a, a lot of people from the same place coming to the same school. So a lot of people don't know anyone, and it's about getting to know people and, and, and people open up. And, and and the biggest aspect of that is just kind of talking, you know, and having conversation and going from there. And that's kind of that's kind of what we do. How do you, with all of the things that you do uh, and all of the people that you're working with and all the places you have to be, um, how much time do you get to review anything that you do? Not as much as I would like. Um, I will try to watch a few minutes of, of everything as I can. Um, I, will, I will try to focus on what I thought was good to see if it actually was. And then if there's a spot after a game where I thought something was like, Ugh, I go back and figure out try and why. Um, but not nearly as much. And the other part of that is, is, is that because in a bubble, we're just play-by-play guys or we're just sports announcers, but it's not a bubble. Um, I'm also a dad of two young kids and have a wife that, frankly, we need to have more date nights than we actually do. And, and so all of those things come into play to the point where I don't even watch as much sports at home as I would have ever thought. I, we, we, you know, when we're watching stuff, it's very rarely sports. 
Um, a lot of house hunters. Is, uh, some house hunters because we are in the market. Yeah, um, there's there's what movie a time or two. You know, Daniel Tiger's neighborhood, whatever. But like, I, this is so much more important. Like, one of the things that that and this is any relationship, and this is kind of more along the lines of what we talk about in our in our radio show. But like, if life isn't good, your job's probably not going to be good. Um, so you have to have the support at home and you have to do as good of a job at home as you can. And it's hard. Like I have a friend who wrote a movie about a quarter life crisis guy in his early thirties having a quarter life crisis. I think technically that would be like a third life crisis, but you get the point. (laughs) And, uh, it's about trying to find himself. He's married. He's trying to make his marriage work. He's thinking about switching careers. You know, all the things that go through people's minds when they, when they're in their early thirties and, and maybe some things aren't going the way they thought they would. And you know, that's life. And as awesome as our jobs are, life is, is part of our jobs. And, um, but the nice thing about games and, and shows is that for those two or three hours, most of the time, all the other stuff does kind of fade away. I know I've got to let you go to do a, do a show here, but I want to ask you one more question on that note. Um, and that is with the amount of stuff that you do and everything we just talked about, um, I got asked a question how, like, somebody looked at my chart and was like, how, how do you have time to do all this? And my first joking response was, well, I'm single. Um, <laughs> but, like, how do you successfully prepare efficiently for the amount of things that you're doing while balancing life, wife, kids, all that? Hotel rooms. I, I do. I do. Is, um, when we're on the road, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of the prep is there because it is a chance to do it. Um, I, uh, you know, you do the best you can, but, um, it's when I know I'm behind, I'll focus. And I, and at night, you know, just stay up when the kids go to bed and, and do all that stuff. Um, but I look ahead, try to get out as front as much as I can and, and, and do the best job I can. Are there things and you then, need? Like, is there, if, if you have like the short version of like, I've only got X amount of time to do this. What do I absolutely have to have beyond like? stats hometown high school all that um i'd say what's happened recently right like if you read three or four articles about re- teams recent games from the from the local people who cover them every day mm-hmm. you'll you'll pick up a lot of what you need to know and that's not saying that he averages 13.7 points per game but you'll pick up hey they've been struggling with turnovers or um coach has been uh, taking timeouts early in the second half or cause they, cause they write about the trends, right. And they know the team better than anybody who comes in um, and, and just does it two or three times a year. So uh, if you read those and, and get caught up on that stuff, uh, you'll have a better feel. And then you have a better idea of what you can kind of plug and play from there. Uh, how do people find you on uh, social media, radio, TV? Uh, what's the easiest way to track down Jason Horwitz? Basically anywhere they go, I will be there. <laughs> uh, no, at Horowitz Jason, because if you go to at Jason Horowitz, you're going to get the Washington Post columnist who covers the Pope uh, and the Vatican. Uh, we are not the same person. No. Yeah, no, it's great, but we're not the same person, yeah. and he's probably much better at his job than I am. Then at any college Westwood One game that you're going to hear, yeah. I'm probably somewhere in a studio, not oh. always in New York. There you go. Uh, Horowitz, thank you, man. Appreciate it, bud. All right, that's Jason Horowitz joining us here on PXPCast. You can find him on social media at Horowitz Jason. And uh, give him a shout-out. Let him know you caught the episode. 
and uh, you enjoyed the episode or you learned something from the episode, always uh, appreciate when you guys take the chance to let our guests know uh, that their time, their comments, and their insight uh, landed and made an impact. I love the cheerleader thing. Like, that to me is cool. And like I stumbled upon it. I, I did a game with Tim Doyle a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about, like, there, there was a comfy chair set up on the baseline, and he looked at me, he goes, I want to do a segment sitting in the comfy chair. Uh, and I was like, hey, I'm in. Like, I, I'm cool. I'm, I'm good with that. And he said, yeah, like, last year, I did a thing with the cheerleaders with Horowitz. So, obviously, I had to ask Jason about that. Um, like, I love different and creative ways to tell stories, broadcast games, point out interesting facts, anecdotes. Um, I didn't see that cheerleader segment, um, but I'm sure it was really cool, and, and I'm sure it was probably effective. Like, find different ways to tell stories other than just the ball is in play and let's talk while you watch a game on your screen. I think that's always a lot of fun. Uh, many thanks to Jason uh, for doing this, uh, literally leading directly up to his talk show that he talked about hosting. Literally. We finished taping this episode, and his show started, I believe, three minutes later. So, uh, many thanks to Jason for being uh, our guest on episode 140. I did say, if you follow us on social media, I did say Ted Leitner is coming up on the podcast, and that is true. Ted Leitner is coming up on the podcast. I anticipated him being next week's guest, and I'm hoping that can still be the case. Uh, but we were supposed to tape this week, and then Manny Machado unofficially signed with the Padres, and uh, I now can't talk to Ted until that actually uh, goes through. So, come on, Manny. Sign on the dotted line. We'll see who next week's guest is. This is PXPCast. I'm Joel Gadet, and we're out. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.